The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Venice, one of Europe's most loved cities, could see itself being added to the UNESCO World Heritage Danger Sites. The city, which sees about 28 million tourists every year, is said to be at risk of irreversible damage due to mass tourism, overdevelopment and rising sea levels. What would it mean if it was and added to that UNESCO danger list? Well, joining me now is Hugh McCafferty, Irish journalist living in Northern Italy. Hugo, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, there's been a conversation, shall we say, about adding Venice to this this endangered list uh, over a past the past number of years. What is at at the heart of this issue? Do the Venetians want it or not? Uh, well, do the Venetians want it or not? That's a that's a complicated question. Um, I think uh, the Italian government certainly doesn't want it because it might be considered um, a loss of face or a, um, a dishonour to be put on the endangered list along with sites that exist in, say, Iran or Afghanistan or other war-torn countries. But there has been a conversation for many years uh, about putting Venice on the list because uh, the city is clearly in danger. Um, it's overrun with tourists. Climate change is, is affecting it um, badly. It's getting worse every year. And UNESCO has been threatening to put uh, Venice on the list because of what they say is a lack of sort of an overall vision or strategic thinking, um, joined up thinking as opposed uh, um, as opposed to sort of piecemeal um, solutions that the the Venetian and the Italian government are coming up to serving up so far. Now, what does it do if you're on the the list? I mean, does it help you in any way? Is there any money forthcoming from UNESCO to try and save the city? Or is it just a label? It really is just a label, although it does unlock certain funds and certain um, expertise within UNESCO that could be funneled towards uh, solutions for the city. So if anything, it would it would benefit uh, Venice. Um, but I suppose politically, you know, the UN and UNESCO are such a political organisation that it would be, for uh, Italians, it's considered um, a loss of face. Um there is some pushback against this uh, proposed or this um, this draft legislation to or uh, draft proposal to put um, Venice on the endangered list. Um, many, uh, particularly in Venice, are calling UNESCO uh, like a non-credible organisation because uh, it's years that they're taking criticism from UNESCO and UNESCO doesn't really provide any help. All it does is, is effectively criticise. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, there's a lot of talk here in Italy of, of um, Italy itself as the country with the most uh, UNESCO sites in the world as a position of a certain amount of um, sway within UNESCO. Um, Ethiopia are a very strong ally within uh, UNESCO um, on Italy's side. Uh, so this still has to go for ratification, uh, ratification in September in Ria. And um, it's, it's far from done. Now, the city itself, um, I was there in the last uh, year and I was astonished when you're at water level and you're looking at uh, the buildings and you can see certain buildings are crumbling and then you see more buildings that uh, seem to be water damaged uh, at the surface, perhaps below the surface without uh, oxygen and air, they're less damaged. But uh, the job of kind of repairing Venice would be absolutely enormous. We're talking about tens of billions of euros. Yeah, well, 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 that's the thing is that Venice, the, the cost of even just maintaining Venice is extraordinary. And that is the sort of um, 
the the catch twenty two situation with Venice is that they they almost depend on the amount of uh, tourists coming in to provide the revenue in order to be able to maintain it. Uh, but it is a, an absolutely extraordinary city, and 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 they are. Um, doing what they can to save it. They have uh, Mose, which is the um, underwater electromechanical tidal gate, um, which has been operating for the last two or three years. But that was that was designed 15 years ago. Um, and climate change has accelerated a lot since then. And, and it can it can affect the tide for up to, or like the aqua, aqua alta, they call it, for up to three metres. But will that be enough? Um, we don't know. Um, Venice has experience, just like the rest of Italy, very extreme weather. I mean, even this year alone, they had a drought uh, where the gondolas simply couldn't go down the canals, uh, followed by extreme flooding. So um, on top of that, the, the, the city is absolutely decimated by um, over-tourism. Um, the, the people themselves, the Venetians, are fleeing the city. The population of, of native Venetians has gone down below 50,000, I think. Um, and that is a problem. Airbnb has decimated the city. I mean, people are just uh, people are coming in and investing and just buying up properties in order to lease them out to tourists. So there needs to be um, a whole strategic uh, approach in terms of turning Venice back into a living, living, breathing city again, and not just a you know a major open air uh, museum. Yeah, it is extraordinary when you see the city. Um, I think I only saw besides the wheels on the little carts where they deliver uh, merchandise to the shops and so on. And there are many, 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 many shops all getting deliveries on these little trucks which come off the canals uh, and then deliver the goods to, to the shops. The only other wheels I saw in Venice were two cyclists who came along with the finishing of the Venice Marathon. And they cycled mm-hmm. across the bridge uh, with uh, some of the runners but other than that, you don't see wheels. It is quite an extraordinary place. Um, no yeah, scooters, no cars, no bicycles, nothing. It's it's absolutely extraordinary, and it's it's. I would say it's the most unique and beautiful city in the world. Um, and I would encourage people to continue to to visit Venice because it's something. If you haven't seen it, you, you just you have to see. It. But to do so in a um, in a responsible way, so avoid the Airbnbs. Uh, book your accommodation with the local Venetian guest houses. Stay away from from cruise ships. Um, take your time. Stay. I mean, Venice. I think well, many people experience Venice during the day, but Venice at night is is another thing entirely. It's actually it's an extraordinary place. Yeah, I arrived at night along the Grand Canal, and it, I was just gobsmacked. I rarely feel my jaw drop but it certainly did arriving <laughs> in Venice at night. Anyway, Hugo, thank you very much uh, for that. Owen Curry, editor of Air and Travel magazine, is on the line. Uh, good morning, Owen. Hey, good morning, Pat. Now, Venice, everyone, you know, sort of see Venice and die um, because it is such a unique place. And with that accolade, I suppose, come a lot of its problems. A lot of its problems. Smelly, overpriced, um, and uh, overcrowded, but it's still one of the, one of the most amazing cities in the world, and it's one of the places you have to really go and see at least once. That's its problem. 
there are all sorts of wannabe Venices all through Europe. Um, it gets close to about pre-pandemic. It was getting about six million visitor international visitors a year. Um, it's not as big, not as much as Paris. You know, which Paris, London would be closer to the twenty million. But the size of Venice um, and the fragility of Venice's atmosphere is the problem. And uh, I think Hugo mentioned the cruise ships. That's where that's probably the first. Um, the first step in reducing the threat from the number of visits is to keep uh, the cruise ships out. I see a little bit of a trend towards that internationally, Pat. Uh, Amsterdam recently voted on something similar. Now, it doesn't mean that people on uh, cruise ships uh, can not visit the cities. It, do they just come in on tenders then in smaller uh, numbers? Is that what happens? There are two things here. The the sheer volume of cruise ships nowadays, some of those, the larger Royal Caribbean ships, uh, um, Oasis, Allure class, they would have 5,300 passengers plus the crew of about 2,000. So uh, what we've seen is um, the number of cities that people visit or these ships can get into has decreased as the ships get bigger and you can actually flood a city with uh, passengers. Uh, people in our, in Dublin will remember pre-pandemic uh, one July day when we had uh, 7,000 crew, we had four cruise ships in town and 7,000 people coming through town all trying to queue it for the Book of Kells or the same queue. All of the, So it does, uh, it just lands an awful lot of people uh, at very for a very short number of hours into a city. Um, Amsterdam have uh, decided not to take uh, ships into the cruise port. But re- as you say, the, what will happen is the cruise ships will probably transfer to Harlem about two hours away and still bring the passengers in. The problem with Venice is its sheer the rom- romance of it and its success. And, you know, from the UNESCO point of view, we already saw we had Dubrovnik on the UNESCO heritage site. It's gone. Uh, we've seen some other places that people go to in large numbers been taken off the heritage list. It doesn't really make a hell of a lot of difference uh, to um, the number of people who want to visit the city. But it, what it does is it removes one of the, the oversights of the management of tourism in the city. And that's probably the biggest mm. risk out of this story. Now, the, the idea of day trippers being charged, in other words, if you uh, fly into uh, one of the airports and then uh, locate yourself not on the island of Venice, but elsewhere and then take a day trip, the idea then that they would charge the day trippers, you know, 10, 15 euro just to access the place. That's exactly it. If you've got a, a theme park, if you've got an attraction with a with a, a, a admission price, uh, if you've got a strategy for coach tours like the Cliffs of Moher would have introduced a couple of years ago, you can actually manage the number of people coming in. With an open city um, where there is commerce going on, you can't uh, manage the number of people who are in the city at any given time. Mm-hmm. So what has been... Uh, proposed uh, in a, quite a few places is this congestion charge. You charge the day tripper to get in and you charge for, you You work out ways of doing that. The technology for footfall and stuff like that is really, really great now. So you can actually tell the number of people who are in a city at a given time. And while nobody really wants to eliminate tourism, what they do want is to move the numbers uh, to the margins, to the out of season and out of times of the day when things peak. That tends to happen itself anyway, Pat. You know, tourists don't like 
to uh, go to places that are very, very crowded. I'm reminded of the great Yogi Bear uh, quote, uh, oh, uh, Yogi Bear quote, sorry, uh, where he said, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Uh, tourists like to avoid big, long queues and crowded days. But um, it, what w- one of the ways that's been mooted for doing this is a, the equivalent of a congestion charge mm. for day trippers to a city. Now that's a great quote. Nobody goes there. It's too crowded. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, the Italians themselves are destroying Venice, says Kevin. When we were there, the place was crawling with tourists to the extent that there was no pleasure. The same thing is happening in Mykonos and in Santorini, the two of the Greek islands, and it's all down to greed. Uh, so says Kevin. Well, the Greek islands have developed uh, dramatically since my student days when I travelled and slept on beaches in, on, on the Greek islands. Uh, you don't do that anymore. Uh, but what to do for, for a population who depend on tourists for any kind of a, a sustainable income? Because in Greece, as you know, uh, there's a gravitation towards Athens, o- off the islands and off the hinterland, and the cities get more and more congested. And you'll reach a point, I suppose, like some of the islands off our coast where it's just unsustainable to live there 12 months of the year. Pretty much. I mean, you know, the UNESCO, uh, there's a big query about UNESCO. It's sort of a rush towards the UNESCO sites in the 80s and 90s. I've always found it fascinating. We only have two of them in Ireland. One of them is one of those islands you allude to, Skellig Michal, with no residents and very fragile. And the other was Brunabonia, which also had to, in the 90s, curtail the number of people going into the actual, the real tomb in Newgrange because um, of its fragility and the damage that was being done. That's what we've been Seen. We've been seeing, um, to, you know, the, the, an example uh, would be the, the French, um, what the French have done with their more fragile prehistoric uh, paintings. They've created, re- recreated exact replicas. A new one opened in Marseille of, Nundra, of a sea cave where, which was an inaccessible except to divers. So what we're seeing is people building virtual uh, virtual copies of what uh, would be fragile parts of the world. And I am reminded uh, by somebody who told me that he didn't really like Venice, but he loved going to the Venice Resort in Las Vegas, which was much cleaner. <laughs> and the, the, guy singing, the guy steering the gondola would sing, uh, you know, an Italian love song, O Solo Mio, or something like that. So uh, there is an element, there is a, a cartel or a group of tourists who are happy to put up with what uh, what looks like the real thing and is a lot more accessible mm. if you can't make it fake it yeah that's Stonehenge too uh, anyway uh, Owen thank you very much for joining us Owen Curry, who's editor of Air and Travel Magazine The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance weekdays at 9am on News Talk.